Hello, my name is John Roskam. I'm the Executive Director of the Institute of Public Affairs. In this, the second of my three conversations with Tony Abbott about the Australian way of life, we discuss the protest movements sweeping the world and impacting upon Australia. We examine the success of Australian history and what it is that makes the Australian way of life so special. Tony Abbott, it's great to be with you again. There's so many important things to discuss today. We're going to be talking about the Australian way of life, what it means, why it's so important. And it seems that it becomes more important as we think about what has just happened over the last couple of days and couple of weeks. I must admit, I never thought here in Australia we would see a statue of you, a statue of John Howard covered up in plastic and, and, and fenced off the way it has been. That's completely un-Australian. What, what's happening at the moment? Well, John, I think there is a, a, a gathering assault on our culture more generally. Uh, obviously, what happened to George Floyd in the United States was abominable, absolutely abominable. But uh, the idea that our history is the same the idea that our police culture is the same is just wrong. Now, now I think the protesters are going too far in the United States, but uh, here they're copycats um, dealing with different issues in a different country. And uh, I, I don't like the copycat culture to start with, uh, but I particularly think that it's out of place here We've never had slavery in this country. Sure, we've had things that we wouldn't be too proud of, like the blackbirding and so on. But uh, Governor Phillip was absolutely crystal clear uh, in uh, his uh, uh, agreement with the British government before the First Fleet set sail uh, that uh, um, there can be no slavery in a free land and therefore no slaves. He was absolutely crystal clear. Um, the, the Federation fathers were absolutely crystal clear that there could never be slavery or anything remotely approaching it uh, in this country. So, so look, uh, I'm against copycats and I'm certainly against the denigration what, of the What do culture. you think has given rise to this, and I think it's a nice description, copycat um, culture? It seems mm. to have brought a whole series of things together. What, what's happened and why has it got so much attention? Because what, one of the things I'd like to talk to you about is the fact that the, the massive media attention given to these protests in Australia and around the world, um, is so separate from the mainstream culture. It's, it's interesting, John. If you go back to the 1970s when you and I were at university, uh, the claim was oh, then... 80s. <laughs> I, I, I was suffering I was suffering from the campus revolts of the 70s. You're to pulling, hit, to you're hit pulling the 80s. youth on me, okay. <laughs> But look, I was suffering your go, consequences. Go, go back to the 70s when I was at university and the plea for uh, a fair go for women, blacks, gays, etc., was based on the absolutely fundamental understanding that everyone had to be treated equally. Equal. Uh, that it was wrong... Uh, by the best lights of our culture to treat people differently on the basis of their colour, their gender, their religion, their which was a 
their religion. And, and what's happened now is that they do want to treat people uh, unequally based on precisely those things. Um, the very concept that black lives matter is essentially exclusionary. Now, of course, black lives do matter, but all lives matter. And, and yet to say all lives matter means that you now get sacked uh, as the editor of a newspaper. Is, is there something uh, Australia- Or scrapped as the, as the presenter of a radio Does program. it say something about Australia and our search for grievance that, as, as you say, we have to take aspects of the American culture and society and history which are not ours and, and import this grievance into Australia to search for grievance? But, but again, John, a country which has um, not that many real existential struggles will find other things to argue about, other things to struggle over. Now, by any objective standards, the Western world generally, the world really generally, um, certainly countries like Australia, by any objective standards, notwithstanding uh, the ups and downs of the moment, uh, we have it pretty damned good. Um, uh, The technology, uh, the wealth, the acceptance that people find, it's really wonderful by any historical standards, by our own standards of the past, uh, by uh, today's standards in other countries. We're doing so well, but it is in human nature uh, to be restless and discontented. Uh, It is in human nature to, I suppose, want to create a kind of a them and us uh, situation. And... and, uh, it's almost like uh, what we're seeing now is is a cry of rage against everything. Obviously, there are particular instances in Australia's recent history where the best standards were not of every upheld. country's history. But, but but this idea that there is something fundamentally wrong, something fundamentally illegitimate, something fundamentally racist uh, about Australia in particular, but Western culture in general. It just does not stand up to serious scrutiny. I say to anyone who's unhappy with Australia, what country would you rather live in? Uh, anyone who thinks that we are in some way racist, sexist, whatever, um, what country is better? Uh, and the truth is, it's almost impossible to identify one. And so I say to those people, let's work to make good better. Let's not try to destroy the good in the search for a mythical perfection, particularly when the perfection that they're aspiring to is, I think, um, fundamentally misconceived. Have because we, we do not want to treat people differently on we the take basis some respo- of race, sorry. gender, sexuality, etc. Should shouldn't. we take some responsibility for what's happened? Well, we, the, you were always very clear about values, and about Western civilization, um, we have a school curriculum that doesn't talk about those things. That disdains our our civilization. We now have a university culture uh, that completely disrespects um, and more than that attacks the notions of 
of our culture that have, have given this notion of freedom and equality. Universities. Are we, are we responsible yeah. for what has happened to some extent? The ignorance of our history, uh, the ignorance of our cultural underpinnings, uh, I think we we do have to take some responsibility for uh, as, a, as a culture, as a society. Um, I don't think that individual uh, leaders of Australia or indeed the collective leadership uh, class can really be blamed for acts of individual acts of vandalism. But the fact that so many people have very little understanding of the real facts of Australian history, the fact that so many people have almost zero knowledge of uh, our cultural underpinnings, such as the New Testament, for instance, uh, is is collectively a failing of Australia's leadership class. And and you stood up for those values when you when you've spoken about people knowing the Bible. Yeah, you've been attacked for it. Yeah, why it are why are so many of and let's call them the elites? Why are so many of the elites either refusing to engage in these discussions or saying they're unimportant? or running away because when it, when it comes to culture, when it comes to any aspect of life, you don't win many wars that you don't fight. All politicians are reluctant to engage in fights they might not be able to win. But I, I, now I'm going to pull you up on that. The left don't do that. The, what, why are the... So there's many aspects to what you've just said. Why, are, why is it that... Uh, let's say politicians of the centre right um, feel they are going to lose this debate because you, you've just alluded to the fact they think they're going to lose. What's happened? Well, well, they think the tide is against them. They think swimming against the tide is impossible. Therefore, we just have to go with the flow. Now, the problem is, uh, and and as a as a former politician who obviously had an eye to uh, tomorrow's headline uh, and next year's election. Obviously, you do not want to make unnecessary enemies. But on the other hand, there have got to be some things that are worth fighting for. There have got to be some things that are worth losing for. The the centre-left or or the progressive causes, or however you might wish to describe them, um, seem to have a more solid anchor than some of the centre-right, and just in the Western world? Well, go back to uh, the times of Gough Whitlam, and Whitlam made the point that only the impotent are pure, and he was attacking his own side for being more interested in ideological purity than in winning elections. Um, and, and, and again, there is nothing wrong with compromise provided the, the, the true, the beautiful and the good is actually advanced by the compromise. Um, If we can only take one step forward, uh, let's surrender the second for the moment. But let's not take one step backward uh, in the name of compromise and call that a good outcome. So you've talked about winning the elections. Um, Is it the case that the centre-right have focused too much on winning elections and not winning the battle 
of ideas because if you were to look at the course of Australian history, and you mentioned Gough Whitlam, let's say back to 72, um, who has won or who is winning? The battle of ideas is a constant discussion and debate. Who is winning the battle of ideas? Well, at the moment, you'd have to say that the orthodox Western position uh, on a whole range of things that was taken for granted for decades is uh, is is under challenge and and I would argue in retreat. Take a classic example: climate change. Now, the science is not settled on climate change. It is absolutely not settled, and my view is that the best science uh, is that carbon dioxide is just one of a range of factors influencing climate, um, that what man does is just one of many things impacting on climate. And in any event, uh, as a matter of prudential judgment, I would say that um, you do not want to reduce carbon dioxide uh, with such single-minded ferocity that it damages numerous other important objectives, such as greater prosperity, more jobs, um, the economic development of the country, and so on. So, but 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 we are very reluctant, we of the centre right, to take this on. I was told time and time again, look, you can't argue the science. Well, um, the scientists argue the science, and. Why can't we've, we've we seen say, this with the coronavirus. There's we no say, such thing as the science. Yes, why can't <laughs> we say uh, that, sure, we support the science, but the science is far from settled? You, you mentioned sensible balance. How do we restore that sensible balance? I, mean, I would argue that mainstream Australians maintain a, a sensible balance, but how has it been that on a range of issues, a noisy, loud, unreasonable, intolerant minority of, of the community of one or two or three percent seem to put out of balance all the rest of us. John, I think one of the problems that we've had in countries like Australia is that the good guys are no longer in Parliament. Well, well, <laughs> there may be that, but the good guys love to be polite. Uh, we have a natural aversion to saying things that we know others will take great offence to, and even if and we have a natural aversion to smashing windows and spray painting monuments. Yeah, ab 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 absolutely right. Um, but when someone says that they are doing this because of the terrible injustices that have been committed against them or their kind, uh, we have a natural aversion to saying, well, actually, when you examine these injustices, they're not nearly what you claim them to be, uh, or if they were, they're not now. Uh, or if they are now even, this is not the way to go about fixing it. So we are a bit conflict averse, and that's not a bad thing, uh, but only up to a point. Some conflicts cannot be avoided. Some fights have to be had. How is it that the political elites, the administrative elites, the business elites have become so removed from mainstream mm. values? 
Well, part of the problem is that is that all of us have become collectively uh, less versed in our history. Uh, all of us have become collectively less convinced in our faith. And so in one sense, the business leaders are simply a reflection of the cultural weakening of these times. But there are other factors at work as well, and I would argue that compulsory superannuation has been a key element in the weakening of the business community's commitment uh, to economic reform. Um, when you've got uh, union super funds controlling large swathes of a public company's capital and influencing or determining who are the directors of those public companies, um, influencing or determining who take on um, many of the management roles, the corporate affairs, the government relations positions in these companies. Uh, when you invite people into capitalism who don't really believe in capitalism, is it any <laughs> wonder that capitalism loses faith in itself? So what's the future of capital? Well, we'll go to the big topics. What's the future of capitalism when capitalism is perhaps, or capitalists are losing faith in the system? In the, in the end, capitalism will survive because capitalism works in a way that socialism doesn't. But we may have to go through a, a bad period before people wake up to the problem. And one of the things that has been commented upon overseas is that mobs have taken democracy upon themselves. And, it's not, and of course, it's not democracy. That if a statue, for example, is to be removed, and we'll take that as, as, as an example, that is for the democratically elected town council or the national government. But when did we... Mobs should not be allowed to take the law into their own hands. They absolutely should not. And when did we allow that to happen? Well, again, uh, the police should not have stood by while that statue of uh, Colston was uh, toppled in Bristol. Um, the police should not have stood by while hundreds and, in some cases, thousands of protesters breached the social distancing rules. Regardless of what you think of the social distancing rules, they it's either, apply it's to everyone or they apply to no one. Exactly. And, and for Australians, this double standard was so frustrating and then you first had the double standard and then you had the frustration of no politician calling out the double Labor or Liberal, it didn't matter, no politician called that out. Look, this is one of the reasons why uh, we are, I think, drifting to some extent because the people whose job it is to tell us the truth and give us a lead are not being as clear and as forthright as they should be. We've spoken a lot and Australians have spoken a lot about the need for concrete reform proposals um, to improve the economy, concrete proposals from business. I want to draw this conversation to an end gradually by asking you, what are the concrete proposals for cultural reform? so that we understand our freedoms, we understand Australia is the best country in the world. So how do we start putting these aspects on the map? So, of course, the IPA, for example, has done a lot of work on school curriculum, on the role of universities, on understanding of our freedom through our Foundations of Western Civilization program and our work with young people. 
what are what are some of the building blocks to that cultural reform agenda and i i even hesitate to call it cultural reform agenda because culture is not what the state imposes it is what we build as a community um but it might rely upon aspects of um the government of our cultural institutions to rebuild that if it can be rebuilt yeah well john in in my view uh everyone has got to understand our history more and better and everyone has got to be uh familiar with the broad western canon um particularly what might be thought of as its australian variant uh if you don't understand the things that have shaped the culture in which you live um it's very hard to navigate properly if you don't know the past how can you possibly make sense of the present uh and build a better future and and again the sheer ignorance um, you you the IPA did some work a couple of years back uh, on uh, millennials mm. and pointed out that uh, less than 50% of millennials i think it was uh, had any real idea of what the 26th of january commemorated um something like 58% of millennials uh thought that capitalism had failed something like <laughs> yes uh, 65% of them had a positive view of socialism and that's because 51% of them had never heard of mao and 42% of them had never heard of lenin so look you've you've got to start with the foundation stones and the foundation stones of cultural literacy if you are living in a country like ours uh, are uh, an awareness of of the great books and the bible is the greatest book of all I'm not saying you've got to have religious faith but you've got to have a certain amount of religious knowledge and then there's the history um uh one of the best biographies of the last few years was the andrew roberts biography of churchill and one of the many instructive points that he makes is that churchill's speeches to the british people during the second world war were peppered with references to our long island story because everyone knew it everyone knew it back then almost no one knows it now one of the guys i served with in the davidson fire brigade is a pommy migrant who was in the british army he would be in his late 30s and he said look the history we were taught in this in british schools um 20 years ago was this litany of of racist exploitation that was the story of britain that we were getting from our schools now so this, you can understand why people sufficiently resistant yeah. he was sufficiently resistant to all of that uh, to join the british army and serve for a number of years uh, and he's a person of i think decent pretty middle of the road values now but if if people are constantly bombarded with this self-hatred um in their formative years uh, and when their parents feel intellectually ill-equipped to counter it uh when their peers uh, rarely have the self-confidence to question it is it any wonder uh that doubt is everywhere and in our next conversation we're going to talk about how to build that confidence and how 
we restore the idea of mainstream Australian values to, to the centre of our public debate. Tony, thank you so much. Thanks, John. Good to talk.